Sometimes the very thing we dream about, that we want, that we're so passionate about, oh Lord, if I just got married, oh God, just give me that job, oh God, just... And sometimes you get it. And sometimes you mortgage all that really matters to get it and you find yourself empty. If that's you or someone you know, you want to stick around. Because we're going to talk about why better things don't always make things better. Welcome to this weekend edition of Living on the Edge with Chip Ingram. The mission of these daily programs is to intentionally disciple Christians through the Bible teaching of Chip Ingram. I'm Dave Drury, and this past week, Chip wrapped up his series, Five Lies That Ruin Relationships. For the past 10 days, we've been studying the book of James and learning about the destructive lies that undermine our relationships. Today, we're going to highlight the first part of Chip's message, Why Better Things Don't Always Make Things Better, from James chapter 5. So without any further delay, here's Chip with his talk. I'd like to start a little bit unusual. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to answer this question with the very first, most immediate response that comes to your mind. I don't want you to answer it with what you ought to, what you should say, what a Christian's supposed to say, what some really holy person would want you to say. I'm just going to read one question and just the most immediate reaction that comes to your mind, honestly, true or false, I want you to say it in your mind. You don't have to blurt it out. Here's the question. Are you ready? If I had more money, I would be more happy. True or false? Okay, I hear false. Then why is it that everyone wants more money? See, I, I think most of us know intellectually the answer to the question, I would be more happy if I had more money, intellectually, spiritually, is no. But I think pragmatically, the answer to how we respond it and how we live our lives is, if I had more money, yes, I would be more happy. And yet, that's yesterday's exhibit. Exhibit B is today's relationships. 46% of all divorces in America are rooted in issues over money. The lie is this, my significance, write that word in, and value, write that word in, is measured by the quality and the quantity of the things that I possess. Possessions provide security and power so I can be safe, personally satisfied, and rule my world. I'll give that to you again. My significance, first word, and my value, second word, is measured by the quality and the quantity of the things I possess, third word. Fourth word, possessions provide security and power so I can be safe, personally satisfied, and rule my world. That's the lie that we're going to uncover. To put it another way, more things and better things will make me a something. It is, it is inbred in America and our culture. My value as a person is reflected. I mean, my value, my worth, my significance is reflected in what I wear, what I drive, and how much I make. My happiness in life is dependent upon having the latest toys, the nicest stuff, and financial security. 
And today we'll learn that those very subtle philosophical values and mindsets are at the core of destroying some of the most important relationships in your life. It's a very, very interesting passage. Uh, Commentators struggle with this passage because it starts so strong. To understand it, you need to know the intended audience. And what I want you to know, verse one is intended for unbelieving rich who were abusing believers at the time. This is the first book of the New Testament as I've shared before. And so the early church, these people have been scattered. James opens up to those, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. And many have lost their families, lost their business, and they find themselves in dire financial straits. Many of them, because they've accepted Jesus as the Messiah, have been cut out of wills, cut out of inheritances. And they're, they're in a very difficult time, disowned by their families. And this scathing rebuke in verse one is rich, powerful people that are abusing God's children. Then in verses two to four in this historical background, we're gonna get some reasons why God is so adamant about this abuse. Open your Bible and let me just read an overview of the first six verses and then let's dig in together. It opens up and says, now listen, you rich people, and this is strong, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Verse one, written to unbelievers abusing God's children, judgment's coming for what you've done. He goes on to say, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Verse three, your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, The wages you failed to pay the the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men, those who were not even opposing you. And so the intended audience is some rich unbelievers But out of it, I think, are some principles for all of us. Scathing rebuke, followed by the four reasons for the rebuke. Now, here's what I want you to get before we jump into this very strong passage. The truth is, God is not opposed to wealth. Many of the greatest believers in the Bible time were wealthy. Uh, Solomon, David, Job, Abraham. New Testament, Joseph of Arimathea, Barnabas, very, very wealthy believers. He's not against wealth, but God is opposed to the misuse and the abuse of wealth. For your own study, if there's one section of scripture, I think that really helps you understand the balance of wealth and enjoying it as a good gift from God and being on guard against what wealth can do, I would encourage you, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Verse six through the end of the chapter. I'd make that a personal study. I would would get my arms around 1 Timothy 6, about verse six through the end, and really have a grasp of what does God say about wealth? However, uh, God's not against wealth, but the warning is the misuse of wealth brings God's judgment. 
And so let's open up the text together. Notice what it says in verse one of James chapter five. Now listen, it's strong. Literally, it's stop. Wait a minute. You rich people weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. So that's the warning. He says, the misuse of wealth that hurts and abuses other people will bring the judgment of God. And then he's gonna give the reason. There's four warnings that he gives out of verses two through six. And these warnings are for wealthy people who are unbelievers who are abusing God's people. But here's the thing. All scripture is profitable, right? For doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And the fact of the matter is these are four warnings and he's gonna give specific reasons to these unbelieving people about the abuses there. But those really turn into very clear warnings to you and me because I don't think we're immune to the misuse or the mishandling of money. And so he's gonna give us uh, four clear warnings about what not to do or not, how not to handle your money. The first one has to do with how much you've accumulated. He's gonna talk in, in verse two and he's gonna say, here's the warning, don't hoard it. Don't hoard it. And you say, where, I, where do I get that? Read verse two, look at it. It says, your wealth has rotted and moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you. And boy, this is graphic. And will eat your flesh like fire. I mean, that is like graphic. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Could it be that even Christians are guilty of hoarding in our day? All of us have a line. All of us have a secret line that we think, you know, and, and, you know, and some with good reason will talk about, I need X amount of money, you know, for this situation, and then I feel secure if I have X amount of money. And then after I have that, and then I also have my retirement working, and I have, then I'm willing and ready to be generous with others. The more and more and more you get does not produce more and more generosity the more and more and more you get, what it produces is your safety net gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's interesting, you would think you know, that you know, the percentage of your giving would increase and increase and increase and increase the more you get, but actually what begins to happen is people realize they have more and more and more to lose. Warning number one, don't hoard it. Warning number two has to do with uh, about how we get the money that we have. And he says, don't steal it. Don't steal it. Notice what he says in verse three. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. It's the Lord Sabaoth, the one who's the host of armies, the all-powerful, the, the leader, the one who repays, the God who will bring about justice. And you need to know the historical context is they were getting income dishonestly. The way it worked in that day is, remember the parables that Jesus would tell where you would come out into the field and at the end of the day you got paid? That's how people got paid. And what these people would do is they would go and they would do their day's work and then the guy who's rich and powerful would say, eh, I'm not gonna pay you today. It's exactly what it says. You withhold the wages from your workmen. But unlike us, they didn't get their paycheck every two weeks or once a month and write out their bills. They didn't go home and have a closet full of food. They made the money that day for that day's food. 
fact, later on you'll learn the definition of a rich person in New Testament times is you had a second change of clothes and you already knew for the day or the next day after today you already had the food stored. That's considered rich. So you have excess. Most people live hand to mouth. Most of the world lives in such a way where what am I going to eat today? I'm going to work today. I get this money. When I get this money, I'm going to buy the food. I'm going to buy the food. I'm going to take care of my family. Now they have enough for tonight and morning breakfast and lunch. And then I'm going to go to work and I get my... And what they did is they wouldn't pay them. So their families couldn't eat. And that's why I didn't notice the cries of the harvesters. What would you do if you were a man and you worked all day and you needed X amount and there's no food at home, you know the day's gone, and then you come home and, and the big heavy guy, and what are you gonna do? You're a little poor guy, he's a rich, powerful guy. Not paying you today. You go home and you cry. The cries of the harvesters are here, are being heard by the, the Almighty, the Lord Sabaoth, and he's telling these people, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna bring about justice. Because what are they doing? They're stealing it. I, I don't know about you, but some of the worst testimonies I've ever seen in all my life have to do with people not paying their debts. Christians not paying their debts. Uh, this, this is a very, very disturbing, but do, do you know in America at least one of the worst credit risks are pastors? Now, I'm hoping it's of all those non-Bible-believing churches, but I don't think that's where it's at. You, you ask financial people. Pastors are one of the worst credit risks, and if they don't have their act together with regard to money, what in the world's happening in the churches? How, how many of you have done business with a Christian, you know, fish on the card, fish on the car, you know, and, and have had, like, terrible experience. So it happens even in the church. He says, the wrong uses of wealth, warning number one, don't hoard it. Warning number two, don't steal it. He goes on, warning number three. This is about how we spend the money that we have. And here he says, don't waste it. Don't waste it. Listen to the scripture. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Put a circle around that word luxury. You guys are getting good at this Bible study, aren't you? And put another circle around the word self-indulgence. The root word of the word luxury here, it means to break down, to make soft. It has the idea of an excess in living. It's a picture of people that have so much that there's never any need. There's such opulence that they're, they're, it's not just the, the physical things, but they have very weak moral fiber. You find that uh, some of the downfalls of great civilizations, there is such luxury that people never have to make hard decisions. They never have to say no to themselves. There's no discipline. And so what you find is the softness not only occurs in all the finances and the food and the luxury and this and that, but there's no moral fiber. There's no strength. And so he says to them, you've lived in this luxury. And if you miss the point, self-indulgence, it's the idea of excess, waste. It connotates lewd, immoral self-gratification. This is a picture of the Nero's of the world. This, this is the idea of people that have so much and eat so much that they just fling it here and fling it there. You know, they stick their finger down their throat to throw up so they can eat some more. This is a picture of the, the rich and the famous. 
This is the little stories that we get where so-and-so met so-and-so and they were a little bored one night, so they flew to Paris for lunch the next day. It was great. Had a hundred of their friends come with them. It's this sense of you've got it, flaunt it. You've got it, use it. And God speaks to these people and he says, you've lived in luxury and self-indulgence. And then this phrase, you have fatted yourselves in the day of slaughter. Literally, you've fatted your heart. That's the literal text. You have fattened your heart. And it's a word picture of what they would do when they would have a pig that would be grain fed. They would put a pig in a stall and they would fatten it and grain feed it to make it. And it's a picture of God saying, you think you've been living in the lap of luxury? I'll tell you what you have done. You are like a pig that's been preparing yourself that I'm gonna slaughter because all you've done is focused on you. You, You've lived in such wanton opulence and waste. It's pretty strong stuff, isn't it? What's the application for us as believers? For me, the application is just because you can afford it doesn't mean you should buy it. Just because you can afford it does not mean you should buy it. I think what's developed in our country and developed even in the church uh, is what I call the buffet mentality. You, you know what the buffet mentality is? You know, you paid your eight bucks or your 9.50 or your 12.50 or if it's one of those Sunday brunches, 22 bucks, right? And, and on, there's a table here and they've got shrimp and roast beef and chicken and they've got seven kinds of meat and over here they've got 49 kinds of dessert and then you can have eggs over here, you can have waffles over here, there's fresh fruit over here and there's more food than 49 people could eat in like 49 days ever. But you've paid your 22 bucks or your 950 and what do you gotta do? You gotta make sure you get your 950 worth. So, you know, you put stuff that doesn't even go together, a piece of ham and a shrimp and, a, and an egg, you know, but you like all three and it's a buffet and you go and you eat that and you watch kids there and they eat about half the plate and, and the servers come by and they take half the plates off with food and people line up for, you know, round two and round three and round four and, you know, they ought to give you Pepto-Bismol and Alka-Seltzer to go, but they don't. And you get your $22 worth and you stuff your face and you feel uncomfortable, but it's not just how we eat. Why? Why Why do we do that at a buffet? Because there's so much and you can have, what's the whole point of a buffet? Eat all you want, right? And if it's there to eat, whether you're still hungry, whether you need it, it sometimes, I know the shrimp cost a lot. I mean, if I'm gonna really get my money's worth, nine o'clock in the morning, okay, I'll go for the shrimp. And because it's there, there's a compulsion in human nature to do something with it. And I think what's happened is the buffet mentality has gotten to where, you know, if we got money, we just, we're, we're deluded in thinking it's our money. It's God's money. What do you have that you don't possess? What do you have that you haven't received? 100% of all that you have, all that I have, it's God. You say, well, I work for it, okay. Who, Who gave you the talent? Who gave you the job? Who gave you the oxygen? He's the Lord of all the earth. Silver and gold is mine, Deuteronomy 8. Everything belongs to him. And so what he's saying to these people is, don't waste it. Don't waste it. Don't hoard it. Don't steal it. Don't waste it. You've been listening to part one of Chip's message, Why Better Things Don't Always Make Things Better. 
He'll be right back with his application for this teaching from his series, Five Lies That Ruin Relationships. Are you in the middle of a messy family situation or a painful relationship and wonder, how did it come to this? Are you desperate to make it all right? Well, in this series, Chip's in the book of James unpacking for us five false ideas we believe about ourselves and others that can destroy our relationships. Don't miss what you can do to fix those broken bonds in your family and friendships today. To learn more about this series, Five Lies That Ruin Relationships, go to livingontheedge.org, the Chip Ingram app, or call 888-333-6003. Well, I'm joined now by our Bible teacher, Chip Ingram. And Chip, you ended today's message by explaining how obsessing over money or stuff can ruin our relationship with God and cloud our judgment. Now, I'm sure there's people saying, yeah, 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 I've heard that all before. But take a minute, if you would, and tell us why this truth is so, so important to repeat. I'd be glad to, Dave. Teaching on money and wealth and work and the kind of things we're teaching on is at the core of discipleship and transforming people's lives. I'm thrilled that I got to teach on this, and I can tell you, people will be realigning their priorities, their lives, and their finances. Because wherever their money goes, according to Jesus, their heart will follow. So thank you very much for your support financially of this ministry that allows us to teach those kind of truths. So if you're looking for a place to invest in ministry that will really make a difference, Living on the Edge might be a great opportunity. Thanks, Chip. Well, if partnering with this ministry is an idea that makes sense to you, we'd love to have you join us. Helping Christians live like Christians will change the world we live in. To give a gift, go to livingontheedge.org or text the word DONATE to 74141. That's DONATE to 74141 or visit livingontheedge.org. App listeners, just tap DONATE. Thanks for taking the time to help others benefit from the work of this ministry. Chip, you know, it's easy to think after a message like this that excessive money or maybe nice possessions are bad and Christians should avoid them. So as a place to wrap up this program, help us get a better understanding of what the Bible really says about wealth. Be glad to, Dave. Money in and of itself, obviously, uh, is not bad or wrong. Uh, God isn't opposed to us having it. But he's opposed to what it can do to us. He's opposed to us getting it by stealing or manipulating, uh, defrauding people. He's opposed to us hoarding it or finding our security in it. But what I will say, and I think this is really underestimated, especially those of us that live in the first world, I think we say things like money is neutral, and it's not. Uh, Money is dangerous. Money is powerful. Uh, it's, it's the other God. We need to understand that, yes, we have to deal with money. We need to have it, spend it, save it, invest it, um, give it. But Jesus said that there's two gods, him and mammon. And it's very interesting. They don't even translate it money. They, they really gave it a name. And the idea is it's so dangerous that that's why there's all the warnings about money. I am so grateful that the Lord has entrusted lots of money to lots of people to do lots of good. But I also have been around the block long enough, and I have watched how even the best and most sincere Christians, little by little by little, get their lens clouded by money. In our next broadcast, I'm really going to talk about a specific game plan 
about how to take this dangerous commodity and use it wisely, invest it wisely, give it wisely, earn it honestly. Uh, Money is a powerful, powerful thing, and we need to get a good, clear, biblical perspective of it and then put that into practice. Next broadcast you don't want to miss. Thanks for the reminder, Chip. Well, as we wrap up, let me quickly tell you about a great way to listen to our extended teaching podcast. Hear Chip anytime on your Amazon Echo or Echo Dot. To get started, ask Alexa to enable the Chip Ingram podcast, and then just say, Alexa, play the Chip Ingram podcast. It's that easy. You've been listening to a selected program that we wanted to share from this past week. To hear more of Chip's series, Five Lies That Ruin Relationships, go to livingontheedge.org or the Chip Ingram app. Until next time, I'm Dave Drewy, saying thanks for listening to this weekend edition of Living on the Edge. Living on the Edge.